We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. And we're here because there's huge news. Huge news that we have to talk about, which is, of course, the Phoenix Suns are bringing back the purple jerseys. And we had to have an emergency <laughs> podcast to talk about that. Sam, how you doing? Ring the alarm. Sound <laughs> off. We need to talk about the purple jerseys. The purple jerseys are cool, by the way. I would yeah. like to get one. It seems like, uh, I don't know. We'll save that for later. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing all right. I guess we're kind of sad, but we we also are relieved. Is that sort of? I don't know what the right word to put on it is. I think that's proper for how I feel. Uh, It's not like relieved. It's disappointed. I'm disappointed. I mean, ultimately, and what we're talking about. In case there's somebody who just you know has been away from the internet and just hit play on a podcast, it was announced by every reporter possible this early this morning, on Tuesday morning, that Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets came to an agreement. That was a very specific wording all over this. <laughs> that he will remain with the Brooklyn Nets, and they plan to just play the season out the way it is currently. The trades are no longer being discussed. Everything is over. The dream is dead. Phoenix Suns are no longer in the race. And, of course, that all happened right after we found out that supposedly Mikel Bridges was offered in a trade, which the Suns are now fighting back narrative, uh, fighting back the narrative that he was offered now. So it's official, I guess, that, that Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns, at the very least, is not going to happen right now. I guess your how much you want to believe that it could still happen in the future is probably just based on whether you're an optimist or not. Uh, but right now, the Suns are essentially, right now, we don't know what's going to happen now because I do think that now that this is over, there could be a flurry of moves that happen, Suns or not, that could change rosters up a little bit in the NBA based on people waiting for Kevin Durant. But right now, the Suns basically have the exact same roster minus JaVale McGee and added a couple guys who are at like the 10th, 11th, 12th spots on the bench. Yep. And it's just, you know, it's odd. I don't know what to... I, I have some thoughts on how I feel right now, but like it's 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 an odd place to be, I think, for the organization. It's definitely an odd place to be at for the organization. Uh, look, I am disappointed too because I really wanted Kevin Durant. That being said, we ultimately could not force him to come here unless he was willing to put his foot down and really force his way out of the organization when push comes to shove because we talked all along about how he's got four years left on his contract, yada, yada. And it was it was essential that KD pretty much not engage in this partnership, if you want yeah. to call it that, that he now supposedly has between Steve, him and Steve Nash and, uh, and Sean Marks and Joe Tsai. Um, that he would really have to sit out of training camp and maybe sit out of part of the season and demand, no, this is where I want to go, and I want to go to Phoenix. And that, you know, that all of that would have to break right for the Suns in some way always seemed somewhat Mm -hmm. far-fetched. Of course, at this point, you can still hold out hope. 
Uh, personally, I'm very skeptical of this current partnership in Brooklyn. I don't. I think there's a zero percent chance that Kevin Durant plays out the rest of that contract in Brooklyn, and I think it's very likely that he is ultimately traded sometime in the next year uh, or so, regardless. But is the Suns' potential offer, if they, you know, supposedly the Nets aren't interested in Mikael Bridges plus picks. I doubt they would be interested in Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson plus picks. <laughs> it doesn't seem like the Suns' offer has any potential to get better. And maybe other teams have the potential to create better offers at some point in the next 6 to 12 months. So, yeah, we're, we're really at a point where we can, I think, unfortunately move on from this and start to pivot. Um, as for where the Suns' roster currently is as of today, I do not hold it against the against James Jones, against any members of the front office that they pursued Kevin Durant for this long. I just don't. We were, for one moment in time in this fan base's history, I, I guess there were some exceptions, but for the most part, 95% of people were in agreement that this was a legendary Hall of Fame game-changing player, the type of player who can be a number one on a championship team. Usually, you don't get that level of agreement within a fan base to begin with. And so for one shining moment, we were all in agreement that this was a guy that we had to go out and pursue. So I don't regret for a second, uh, as painful as the last two months were, <laughs> to come up with podcast content every week, for example. Um, <laughs> I don't regret that they pursued him to this point. That being said, yeah, the raw, I mean, the roster is not in the let's, great. Let's, let's hold off on that just a second, though. Yeah, I, we, we have not all all is not hunky dory. We have work to do. Let's just put it put it that I, way. There is. A lot I of work think to do. I just want to just agree with you on that point, because, look, I think the fact that the Suns were even in the running for Kevin Durant says a lot about the organization in general. But the other part of it is. The fact that James Jones understood what I think you and I believed to be the problem with this team ultimately to the extent that he was willing to essentially put the entire offseason on hold to try to trade for Kevin Durant shows an understanding of what this team needs to compete at the highest level. And that is uh, more offense, essentially, more star level offense because shot creation. Think, shot star creation, level exactly. Shot creation. And, yep. You know, you can do a lot with role players during the regular season. Things tend to break down if there's not additional guys who can attack off the dribble in the postseason. So they showed that alone. And the fact that they didn't change and sort of give up on it before the last second, I think was also smart. You have to do what you can in order to to potentially make that move. Did we, and we being you and I, and maybe the rest of Suns fans, you know, and I won't put this on anyone outside of the Suns fan base because I think they properly sold this, but did we undersell the amount to which DeAndre in signing that offer sheet sort of ended the possibilities for the Suns to trade for Kevin Durant? And, and, you know, I guess I'm asking that hypothetically because my answer to that is probably, yeah, I think maybe we, I think I broke it down recently on Discord and just in, in, in messages to you and our other friends, just essentially saying our offer went from DeAndre and then Mikael Bridges, essentially, and then you can put in whatever amount of picks to just Mikael Bridges and picks, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what you want to say, but that's worse, you know, that, that just becomes a worse offer. So from the Nets perspective, they waited as long as possible to try and convince Kevin Durant to change his mind, and they effectively did. Now, if you want to say DeAndre Ayton can still be traded, and now that can come January 15th, maybe they're just holding off to try and trade him on January 15th or as quickly as they can. You might be right. You know, it's possible that things, just because Kevin Durant is staying in Brooklyn, doesn't mean things are going to go right in Brooklyn. He asked. For the general manager to be fired, he asked for the coach to be fired. He asked to be traded, and he continued that trade demand for two months. Things may not go right there. And, you know, from the other side of that, things may not go right in Phoenix. And, you know, there is a possibility that when DeAndre Ayton is allowed to be traded, trade talks start up again. And if DeAndre Ayton agrees to it, because this is a reminder for everyone who forgot, DeAndre Ayton has the ability of vetoing any trade for this season alone. If he agrees to it, that's still something that could happen down Mike, the line if you want to hold on to hope. Thank you. Thank you for that last line. We, I think a significant portion of us, un, again, understand 
how insanely talented Kevin Durant is and how much positive change he would have brought to this organization that being said i i just can't do the hopium thing anymore (laughs) we've done we've done eight to ten straight weeks of it i'm not gonna lie to the people here i know you're not doing that either by the way but it's just like i'm i'm willing to put it to rest and move on to other options because if supposedly the nets weren't interested in deandre in this summer i don't think they're going to be interested in deandre and come january 15th not compared to say the other options of Mm-hmm. You know, is Toronto putting Scotty Barnes on the on the table? Is, yeah, a lot Celtics, can change between now and January. Are the Celtics putting Jalen Brown? It's going to be the same names circulating, maybe some new names as well. Uh, who knows, man? Are the Thunder willing to put <laughs> SGA on the table? He's he's one of our possibly our pivot number one <laughs> option. He's kind of my next uh, my next guy who I'd be willing to start a hopium campaign over, if you will. But that's and the point is here: the Suns need to pivot, right? None of the pivots, well, I guess maybe this isn't necessarily true, so maybe I should ask in a more open-ended way. <laughs> it feels to me, and yeah. you can comment on this, it feels to me like the Suns need to pivot. The pivot is not going to come before opening day, before training camp. Yeah. This well, kind of know. This feels to me like the roster going into the season now that does not mean it's the roster going into the playoffs and as i've said a million times before if this is the roster going into the playoffs barring some insane development on the part of deandre ayton or mikhail bridges that turns either one of them into a clear-cut unanimous top uh, 20 25 nba player this season uh, if you take this exact roster into the playoffs you're going to get your ass clapped for a second year in a row in the second round. That's just kind of how things look. And it could be worse depending on how Chris Paul looks at the end of the season. But you do have plenty of time to make that pivot. Let me just, let me. And to bide your time until the trade deadline. But I, I, I just wanted to bring that up because I heard you say before, you feel like a flurry of moves could be coming. Can you expand on that? Well, let me just, well, I think there's like, it happened today, even Isaiah Thomas tweeting out, after Kevin Durant news was announced, he said, okay, can we sign now? You know, referring to him and the rest of the guys who are waiting for roster spots. And, you know, there's still there's still cap space out there for some teams, including the Suns. And I think that other trades were probably on hold, maybe even including the Donovan Mitchell trade, which we can talk about in a second, due to all of the assets that could have been involved in a Kevin Durant trade. But what I want to do, I think the way that we should frame this is now just quickly just break down the Suns roster from two different perspectives. Now, I know what's going to happen today. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to say, yeah, Kevin Durant didn't sign on the Suns, but look how great, look how great everything is right now <laughs> with the Suns. And from the perspective of we could be a 19-win team, they're 100% right. <laughs> from the perspective of winning a championship, they're just wrong. They're just wrong. The Suns are not in the place where they, I think, can be taken seriously as a contender right now, especially in a West that is better than it was in the last two seasons when they arguably had the best chance that they've ever had to win a title. Now it gets harder, and one of their best players has gotten older. But, and I just want to say that from the perspective of, sorry that we're not necessarily going to be those guys that are going to talk you into this roster right now. But what you have right now we shouldn't is have you to. have, we shouldn't have to. I mean, you guys know, you listen to this podcast. Yeah. We have Chris Paul and we have Devin Booker. Chris Paul and Devin Booker, maybe the only two players we knew for sure were going to be on the team at the beginning of this, meaning the two players that probably were most involved with recruiting Kevin Durant, right? Can we say that? I, I, there's I nobody wonder, else I wonder, that we can say for sure was involved, right? I, no, no, it's those two guys. I do wonder what they're thinking right now, though. Exactly. This Low is key. my point. This is exactly mm-hmm. where I'm going with this. You have okay. those two guys who wanted Kevin Durant. Now they're coming back onto the team. You have Mikael Bridges. You have Cameron Johnson. Two guys that were in the most rumors to be traded for Kevin Durant. You have DeAndre Ayton, who returned on an extension. Yes, he got his money, but he had to sign on another team to do it, and everybody knows that they were trying to trade him for Kevin Durant. Then you have Jay Crowder, who effectively, who effectively asked <laughs> to be traded <laughs> off of the team essentially two weeks ago. Uh, and that is your main core of guys that's returning back to this team. And then, of course, you have other guys. You have the new guys that are back. You have Dario Saric who's coming back. You have Bismack Biombo, sort of the guys who are just happy to be here. 
but your main core of players, you could make a case for every single one of them that they may not be fully happy with what the Suns are doing to return right. this this next coming season. I mean, the vibes definitely feel off. Can right? I just like, beyond that though? I just yeah. want to do one more perspective from this because I don't. Now that I've killed everybody's hopes and dreams, the Suns also have every first round pick that they they can possibly have of their own for the next few years. They have Mikael Bridges on a good and tradable contract. They have DeAndre in on a good and tradable contract. They're likely going to sign Cameron Johnson to an extension. They have Monty Williams signed long-term. They have Devin Booker signed long-term. And they have James Jones for as much as people want to gripe about him right now and today, has done a good job as a general manager for the Phoenix Suns, has only made them better in every year that he's been a general manager. Has, for has only season. increased their win percentage by 300%. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> or so. So let's just say right now, the team that they have, you could make a case once again that every single player could potentially at least be a little bit upset with what happened this offseason, assuming nothing else happens, of course, going into the season. Beyond that, you still have a general manager with essentially a war chest of assets that he could potentially use to upgrade the team in the future. That war chest you know, of assets, as we've talked about on this podcast, means nothing if you never do anything with it, but they still have it. And I think mm-hmm. those are the two perspectives I am juggling with right now as far as yeah. how this team looks going forward. Well, I think juggling is the right word because I really think we're, I think we're in a place of uncertainty that we haven't been before. And we do kind of all know the answer, I think, that something has to change. By the way, when you talk about all these players and the potential for discontentment among them... Uh, it's very natural, and in fact, I've seen some people reply like to various tweets of yours this mm-hmm. way. Like people, they're adults. People, this is their job. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You knew exactly <laughs> right. where I was going for it. They're right. adults. These are this the bootstraps guys, right? Yeah. They they yeah. pretend like humans aren't humans. Well, they're you know they're <laughs> yeah they're old timers. They're real right. '80s NBA's NBA fans, if you will. Right. But um, the thing is, like those people aren't necessarily wrong, and in fact, there are guys on this roster where if you had to ask if I was if I was willing to bet, would they be professional and just, yeah. you know, play through it? And like, I think Mikhail Bridges has done. He's basically just been trolling the fan base on Twitter with his tweets. Like he he understands what's going on, but he's gone about it in a very tongue in cheek way that mm-hmm. I don't actually think reflects that anything about his game or his approach to the game of it's basketball. Just his personality. Is going to change. That's just his personality. Now, for some of these other guys. Jay Crowder? <laughs> I don't know. It's just that we can't guarantee anything. Like, yes, these guys are adults. Yes, I don't believe that these guys' feelings are actually all hurt to the point that, I don't know, it's, it, it is causing this catastrophic identity crisis in all of them. But can I guarantee you that it's not going to affect their play next Look, year? That it's not going to affect the team's chemistry? It's just the, the, the vibes compared to last year when you came in off the momentum of being in the finals and it felt like everyone was on board and everyone was <laughs> mm-hmm. totally bought in, like not just the fans, not just James Jones, but the players were buying into hashtag internal development, hashtag continuity. Mm-hmm. This year it just doesn't, just doesn't feel like that. I think in. that if you're trying to make the case, not you, but those imaginary uh, reply guys that we were just talking about, if you're trying to make the case that they're not just going to come in and give up on the season, of course you're right. They're not going to do that. But can chemistry be like 10% off compared to last year? You know, and how much does that impact a team that already is coming off of one of the most embarrassing game sevens ever? Probably the most embarrassing. Along with, by the way, a much better West. I'm going to keep reiterating that a much better West. And like how much can those things compound on each other and potentially build to what could be a... mm, I'm not going to say disaster, <laughs> but like I'm also going to say that if if I was James Jones, I would be trying to make some small move or like slightly big move right now before the season starts just to shake things up a little bit and not make these guys go back into it with the exact same team they had last year, which is essentially what they're doing right now. Yeah, I could I could honestly just see them going in with the exact same team but it depends we've t- if we're now transitioning into the portion of the pod where we talk about contingency plans again yeah we've done this before i think the name yeah, mostly ha- 
haven't changed. Go just ahead, remind people to go back and listen to that episode too, if you haven't already. There's, I know that it's at the time ago. that we recorded it, people probably were less interested in contingency plans as they are right now. Mm-hmm. But about a month ago, we recorded a podcast that literally just says contingency plans in the title. Go back and listen to that. We break down all of them. We can we can reiterate some of them here. I think uh, it's but that one like, goes into it in detail. I think it's only like half the episode anyway, maybe two thirds of the episode. But you know, so it's like forty minutes. We go over five or six names. And I think those names are pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> Some more realistic than others, I'll say. Yeah. You know? I mean, if you want to talk to me about one guy that I, th- <laughs> that I think is maybe realistic that the Suns <laughs> could acquire between now and the start of training camp if they really wanted to shake things up, I've had uh, ecstatic Knicks fans in my mentions all day. And <laughs> make of that what you will. But Julius Randle is very available. He just mm-hmm. is. And we've talked about him before. We talked about him in that contingency plan episode. Um, you know, I don't know, Mike. Ha, ha, <laughs> I'll put it like this. I mean, I you know where I stand on the Julius Randle thing, I think. Which is that he's not... I mean, he's not a, he's not SGA. He's not Can Kevin you just Durant. say what the Suns would trade for him so that people aren't freaking out that you want to well, trade Cameron well, Johnson? Well, I, I tweeted this... Yeah, I tweeted this earlier. I said... And I think this this is reflects exactly what my point is about Julius Randle, that Julius Randle is the perfect buy low option out of all the hashtag or, or quote unquote stars, if you even want to call him that at this point, out there. Um, because I said, I don't want to trade Cam Johnson. I don't want to trade Mikhail Bridges. Just match salaries by giving them Jay Crowder, who may not want to be here anyway, and either Landry Shamit or Dario Saric. Give them a first round pick. Uh, if I had it my way, it would be a protected first-round pick. I don't know. You can haggle over that. But Knicks fans immediately retweeted it, like a lot of Knicks fans, a lot of like <laughs> Knicks content creators, and said, yes, this is great. This is amazing, which almost makes me when, – when you get the other fan base on board to that degree – now I start thinking, well, okay, maybe we could get away with just doing a second round pick here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that's when, and um, if I'm not getting some level of death threats from the other fan base, then I'm maybe thinking I've gone too far in one direction and we can rein it in a little bit. Yeah. But I do think it just points to they're mostly desperate to get rid of that guy. Does that make you nervous if you're a Suns fan? Sure. But also Jay Crowder, again, for the fifth time on this episode today, might not want to be in Phoenix regardless. <laughs> like, what do you have to lose? I guess. Well, let me you just, know, what, let me just what do you say have something to lose if you make that swap about Jay Crowder here? I'm sorry, Jay Crowder, Julius Randle, uh, 2020, 2021, Julius Randle averaged 24 points on 56% true shooting. Last year, he dipped to 20 points per game on 50% true shooting. For those who don't understand true shooting fully, just know that that's bad. That's well below league average, and uh, that's bad for the amount that he shot. But in previous seasons, if you're just looking at his advanced stats alone, he has had multiple seasons over 60% true shooting, and even in the 1920 season, which was still kind of low for him, it was like 53.8, which is around league average, slightly below league average for players like him. your point about him is that essentially when he was at 24 points per game, 56% true shooting, you it would have taken a lot to trade for him. Now that he's 20 points per game, 54%, I'm sorry, 50% true shooting, it wouldn't take much to get him, but maybe that 20 points at 50% true shooting isn't what he actually is. Maybe he's a sure. lot closer to what he was previously, maybe not 24 points, uh, but maybe like... well. Yeah. 20 points at and he 58% wouldn't be, true shooting on a team as a third option instead of being right. the first option. With Let's your, be very clear. The thir- first option on a team with the, his home team fans booing him at home. <laughs> let's let's be very clear. Julius Randle would not be a 25 or 24 point per game guy on the Phoenix Suns, but you're not acquiring him. You don't you don't trade Jay Crowder, Landry Shamit and a protected first round pick expecting to get a 25 point per game first option on a champion like that those are absurd expectations for what you're holding the value of that trade package to right rein in the expectations here of what this is there's a reason his value is what it is remember a few weeks ago when we had the conversation swap andrew wiggins who the warriors paid 100 million dollars in luxury tax penalties to this past season as they won the championship swap andrew wiggins with jay crowder i asked you do the warriors still win the championship and you hesitated 
because Andrew Wiggins had just enough games where he wasn't mm-hmm. the first option, mm-hmm. but he had just enough games as the third option in the Western Conference Finals and Finals where he had 25 points and 12 rebounds when you didn't necessarily expect him to. And voila, you won the fucking thing, right? So it's a similar concept here of Jay Crowder just can't give you that. Julius Randle might be able to give you those types of performances as the third option once every four games. And in the finals, in a, in a you know contested series, that could matter a lot. Does that mean that Devin Booker is going to play to the level of you know Steph Curry as like the true number one who can really lead the entire system? Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. That's like that's a conversation, a debate for another day. But the Suns are desperate for shot creation. This guy's a shot creator, plain and simple. Like to me, if you're not giving up Cam Johnson, if you're not giving up Mikhail Bridges, again, he's not SGA. He's not like the ideal star that you could pivot to uh but as a buy low candidate it's, I mean, it's just he logical. did average it is bizarre it, you know like this just could just be his one outlier season 2020 2021 but 24 points 10 rebounds and six assists on 56 percent true shooting is like an insanely good player just looking at the stats alone uh it's just hard to believe that i don't know i i understand why you would bring him up i'm not fully convinced it's a tough thing because I'm not like I think Harrison Barnes if if you just put Harrison Barnes in that spot instead of Julius Randle the Suns would be a better team throughout the regular season with Harrison Barnes than Julius Randle I think just from that perspective alone just because the fit is so seamless would they be a better team in the playoffs that's a different question I, I don't actually know in that case maybe Julius Randle is better not not to mention Look, he's not just necessarily he he wouldn't fit in seamlessly offensively. You have to change your offense a little bit to fit a guy in like him. Uh, but could he be a guy who runs the offense for a quarter when nobody else has it? Yeah, potentially. And and you know he's big enough who, to send passes over guys that other guys can't. Might I remind people? I'm sorry if I'm starting to get a little animated here. <laughs> who is the backup point guard on this team? Right? Like yeah. if we, it's I, pain. I guess it's still pain. It's, it's campaign. They clearly believe in him. Are you do you do you trust that? Like, are you comfortable with that? Because that's like we've talked about this, and it's it's kind of absurd, right? So if you could have someone like Julius Randle come in, run the second unit a little bit, take some pressure off campaign. Hey, if there's one thing we do know about campaign, I mean, all of his percentages across the board dipped last season, but he still did hit a decent amount of his catch and shoot threes. At the very <laughs> least, he can give you that. If he can't run an offense, I do think he can give you that. Uh, but Harrison Barnes can't do that. Can we, can we just acknowledge that we're talking about going from Kevin Durant to Julius Randle and how insane that is? Uh, why, <laughs> I, is it insa- why is it? Why is it insane? It's just I've so been, depressing. It's just I've depressing. been on this. Like, I've been I, I've been doing this for months. I Give know. me my flowers. Give it's, me my right. flowers. This has been my narrative. I'm ready to run this fucking shit into the ground. <laughs> I don't care how many people hate me for it. This is about to be my entire It's just fucking depressing, brand. man. It's just depressing to go from like a guy who's like one of the greatest players of all time to a guy who had a good season once and you're betting and banking on him potentially getting back to whatever that was and by the way has had trouble fitting in on every team that he's been on in Julius Randle so that's a little scary too the masochist that I am and the masochists that I know most Suns fans are I find it again freeing my spirit is free (laughs) from the last eight or ten weeks that we've been talking about this stuff and honestly like if you haven't found it within you to laugh a little bit about this stuff by now it's just it's kind of funny (laughs) Yeah, this has been a frustrating offseason, but it's it's also just basketball. And from the just basketball perspective of it, when you take a step back, it's kind of funny. I'm sure Chris Paul doesn't see it that way (laughs) as he's trying to scrap to a ring in his 18th season or whatever. But uh, from an outsider's perspective, it's a little funny. Who were the other? Okay, so we had Harrison Barnes. We had Julius Randle. Look, there's another guy, an obvious guy out there we at least have to mention. Donovan Mitchell still hasn't been traded. The Suns don't really have a team that just makes sense for him on paper unless they trade Chris Paul for him, which, by the way, I would do <laughs> if we could do it. <laughs> just for the record, uh, you know, it may not be perfect for the Suns, but like it just adds more star power to the team for the future, and it makes an interesting team to build around. Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker, there's no reason to do that, but it's just something to throw out there. Uh I don't think the Suns have enough assets as far as picks, just based on the Knicks having potentially up to eight picks to do it. The Suns could offer four 
and the Knicks could just counter with six <laughs> and then get it done on their end. So just just throwing him out there. Is there any anyone else that stands out to you as what what the Suns could potentially pivot to either now or even you know a month or two into the season? It doesn't necessarily have to be by the trade deadline or at the trade sure. deadline. It could be sooner. Sure. I mean, I can think of other guys that you've brought up, not me in the past. Like, how about your guy, Kyle Kuzma? Are yeah. we still there? I mean, Kyle Kuzma, I just don't think he's available. You know, I think you might have to overpay for him. I think he has a player option after this year. So, like, you have the ability of potentially convincing the Wizards to, hey, give Jay Crowder a try <laughs> and try to surround Bradley Beal with defense. And uh, maybe we'll be the team that takes a gamble on Kuzma and tries to re-sign him later. Um, that's a guy that could potentially be available, but you might have to overpay. He's a good worth. rebounder, not a perfect shooter, but he's mm-hmm. a, he, he's got some dribbling skills as well that could help the team. Yeah, I mean, I for what it's worth, I don't. I think Kuzma is a little overrated uh, at this point in his career. I I don't actually think he's that great. Which I think is he's why a good I, fit, though, right? I don't know. I mean, based on what. But size, exactly athleticism, ability to dribble, and then yeah, I think he, defensively, I think he kind of could guard some of the guys that, uh, if Jay Crowder was gone, that Jay Crowder was sort of tasked with. Guarding. I will say the athleticism out, out of all the things you said there, because you know the shooting is suspect, the rebounding, his rebounding numbers did improve, but most of it was defensive rebounding, which sometimes I feel like is more scheme based than anything that you can actually gleam out of that. Um, out of all the stuff you said there, athleticism is maybe the most compelling to me. I the, like I would be most inclined to agree with that. I do think if there's one thing Julius Randle is not going to solve on the Suns, it's that the Suns have a lot of ground-bound <laughs> players who don't exactly get up there, uh, whether it's for rebounding, whether it's for rim protection. I mean, they have a couple. They have DeAndre Ayton, obviously. But uh, the Suns could use some more athleticism, and I, I do think Kuzma would provide that. Yeah, he would be an upgrade in that realm. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyone else of, uh, outside of those? Let's see. We mentioned Barnes. We mentioned him. We mentioned Mitchell, Randall, SGA, Mitchell. Randall. SGA, SGA is like this long-term like vision that if he's just unhappy being with OKC, for those who didn't listen to the other episode, that's like this long shot that if he becomes available and you haven't traded all your assets for Kevin Durant, well, then you pivot and trade for him. And that would be ideal. You know, he's friends with Chris Paul, would be a perfect fit next to Devin Booker long-term when Chris Paul's gone and I think would enjoy being coached by Monty Williams. I think he'd be an excellent fit. But that's something that's just, it can't happen now. For example, it would have to be trade deadline or next offseason. I think those are all the main targets at this point, though, unless people want to drop other suggestions. You're always welcome to do so. Yeah. Um, I I guess we have heard other names. I I think some people like still bring up Lowry, uh, Markkanen, that is. Yeah. Um, There's no way they trade him. He's fine. Right I mean, he's, he's like not a big deal to me, to be honest. I think he's an um, interesting fit because he's, he's huge and he can play power forward, which is just a rare combination. Defensively, he showed a lot for the Cavs this last year that I think I just didn't expect. He, like, he guarded a lot of threes. You know, he was essentially their small forward in their starting lineup. And I didn't expect him to be able to move his feet the way he did. So that that combination of like size and ability to shoot without losing a lot defensively is something that you don't really get from anyone else in the Suns. Yeah, he's all right. I like it. He, I just don't think he's available. He's fine. I just, I don't see him as a huge upgrade over Crowder. That's I guess all I'm saying. Um, other like obvious obvious upgrades over Jay Crowder for a starting forward spot. No, I don't see it. Which Send brings him- us. Send them to us. Go I ahead. think let's let's say, let's take a quick break, and I want to talk about that a little bit more. But if you have any other options that you can think of as contingency plans, send them our way. We'll talk about them on a future episode. And there's a chance that by the time we record next, something has happened because the Suns may have now's the chance to do something before the season. There's not a lot of time, like four weeks before training camp starts at this point. So uh, now's the chance to do something. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sam, last week I mentioned that I asked you a question about Jay Crowder. My question for you was, based on what's happened this offseason, how likely do you think it is that Jay Crowder is on the team by the time the season starts? And then how likely do you think it is that Jay Crowder is on the team when the season ends? And our answers sort of differed a little bit. But now, after all that, my conclusion on all that was, if Kevin Durant is traded somewhere else besides the Phoenix Suns, that Jay Crowder is essentially done in his time with Phoenix. Cameron Johnson's eligible for an extension right now. And if Cameron Johnson is extended and he makes like, I don't know, somewhere between 15 and $20 million a year, which he likely will make, you got to start him at that point. Is there any reason to bring Jay Crowder back onto the Suns to come off the bench as someone who already is unhappy with his role on the Phoenix Suns right now? Is there any reason to bring him back? Well, sure, because regardless of what you say, and, and just for the record, I'm all aboard the Cameron Johnson starting train at this point. Like, I'm I'm all the way there. I was kind of leaning into it several weeks ago, thinking, yeah, this is probably the way we're going to have to go. Then the stuff with Jay happened in the last couple of weeks. Then the KD news broke. And at this point, I'm just like, look, if the Suns are going to prevail this season, if they're going to improve in any way, shape, or form and try and work past these obstacles, they need to... They need to get the development out of their younger guys, and Cam Johnson is a big part of that. Um, And I think we talked about him recently in an episode about specifically kind of what he did when he was in the starting lineup and just reminding people of the impact that he had. So I'm all the way there. Um, With Jay, my answer kind of remains unchanged from from when you asked me last Mm -hmm. week. Yeah. I, I just I, if the offers aren't there, man, the offers aren't there. Like this yeah, is something that I get it. it for, for what it's worth. I think we should bring up whether you want to believe him or not. What Gambo is reporting at this point uh-huh. is that he's under the belief that the Suns that are looking for a post up power forward. <laughs> yes. A that the Suns are looking for a post up power forward. But B yeah. that they're running it back to start the season that he thinks they're bringing Jay back at least at the beginning. And I am inclined to believe that report. Um, if mm. the right offer is there, they will trade Jay. If they can't get what feels like an upgrade, I don't think they will. And, it, you know, if Jay plays himself into an even worse position with even lower trade value by the deadline, so be it. I don't think they're going to relinquish him just for the sake of it, though. I think they're going to give it an honest chance, and uh, and we'll see what comes of that. I think the Suns are probably going to try to trade him right now. <laughs> Whether or not they do, I think it's dependent on what they can get from him, depending on the assets that they're willing to attach to him. But I think the combination of a Cameron Johnson, if they don't, first of all, if they don't extend Cameron Johnson, that's a disaster. They just should do the things that they should do. And for the record, from the perspective of doing the things that they should do, they extended Devin Booker. They extended Monty Williams. They matched DeAndre Ayton's offer, and they should extend Cameron Johnson. There was a point in our analysis of the Phoenix Suns where we would just praise them for doing the things that they should do. We're, we're past that. We're, we're just past that. They should just do the things that they should do because that's what teams do and then judge them based on what they do beyond that because it's what they do beyond that that makes them a contender. If they're not meeting the basic levels of competency to just be an NBA team, which in the past they have not met those things, There has been seasons where they didn't meet those things. There's no reason to praise them for meeting them. (laughs) It just is what they're supposed to do. And at this point, what they're supposed to do is extend Cameron Johnson. Had they extended DeAndre Ayton when they could have, there's a possibility Kevin Durant's on the team right now. (laughs) You know, they did not extend DeAndre Ayton when they could have. 
And look, maybe they tried and DeAndre Ayton wasn't willing to work with them, but maybe they should have tried a little harder too. At this I mean, point, they, would they need have had to extend to, him. We just know what they would have had to do. They would have had to offer the five-year max right then. They had to offer the five-year max, or I don't know. I don't know what their other options were. Find a way to not make it the five-year max, but to pay more. Uh, this is something David just, brought up. Then other teams yeah. could. Yeah, I think I, if we're talking about the negotiations between the Suns and Aiton last summer, I think Aiton and Duffy, uh, as his representation, would have just turned that down. But but that's fine. That's, yeah, maybe they would have. They, they definitely could have. You have a point that if they had done that, I don't know how everyone how everyone would have felt about that extension at the time, um, but maybe yeah maybe they would have had a better shot at mm-hmm. Katie. So maybe. now they have to extend Cameron Johnson. They extend Cameron Johnson. I think there's no way they're not at least trying to see what's out there for Jay Crowder at that point. You know that post up power forward comments by Gambo. For those who missed it. Gambo said he thinks the Suns are looking for a post of power forward. <laughs> That's I so think, funny to me. Is that shit insane? I As think an it's aside, insane. <laughs> There's my, no way they're looking for that. There's just no way. Well, I, who what, is what, that? What? Name one. <laughs> Name one, LeBron James. Like that's the only one. Like I can't think of one other post-up power forward that well, exists right, in the modern the, NBA. Right, post-up power forwards don't exist anymore. Which is the the first thing that came to mind for me was like Greg Monroe. Like like, <laughs> d- uh, do you remember what was his name? DeAndre Ayton in college. <laughs> Moti Yunus, like uh, yeah, Monte like, Yunus, yeah. <laughs> like like Al Jefferson, like my mind instantly went to like 2014 era Zebo <laughs> NBA of like guys clinging on to what that. I mean, Lamarcus was. Aldridge is out there, but he hasn't posted up in like three years. Like, yeah, he's, he's more he's, of a face up guy at this. He's point. He's just gonna hit 18 foot mid range mm-hmm. jumpers, which maybe that would be fine. I don't know what I I don't know what that's all about. I think that to me felt a little bit imprecise. Uh, if he's just talking just about Lamarcus that Aldridge, that's hilarious. Uh, you know, I would consider that a win for the Suns to just to have a player that's capable of being a relief valve offensively. You know, how, not a perfect fit, but how do you think James Jones, as a player GM, right? I, I feel like it's kind of a unique position for him to be in. Most mm-hmm. GMs do not have the background that James Jones has, uh, and at times that's been lauded as an asset that James Jones brings to the Suns front office: yeah. an ability yeah. to empathize with players and an mm-hmm. ability to see their perspectives and understand that human element of basketball in a way that previous GMs, Ryan McDonough, Cough Cough, especially failed at. When it comes to a situation like what Jay Crowder is doing, the discontentment with the Suns organization, blurring the Suns logo or or eliminating the Suns (laughs) logo out of pictures (laughs) and then posting that to social media, how, how do you think James Jones reacts to that? Do you think his reaction to that, we don't know what his reaction to that, but do you think that's informed by his player experience? Because James Jones never did anything like that as a player. He was always very locker room guy, very consummate professional. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure James Jones shared locker rooms with many Arguably guys over the, the years. Arguably the Jay Crowder on a few teams that he was on, right? Similar yeah. role. In terms of just on ball, like, yeah, like on court, what they did. Just yeah, a role player, plays defense, shoots threes, yeah. I just wonder... I, I can't help but wonder when James Jones sees something like that, what is his reaction to it? I think there's a lot of analytic, you know, the the general like GM type, a lot of analytical stat boys who become GMs who are going to see that and they're going to react one way. Look, I, I want to say I wonder, that. I just wonder if it, it, it hits James Jones differently when he sees that. If he's more willing to give second chances, if he's more willing yeah. to talk th- to talk things out, be honest, and right? try and reach an agreement for all parties, and and that's kind of going back to the whole Jay Crowder conversation, maybe where part of my prediction comes in as well that they're going to try and make things work before they fall apart. I think that I want to believe that James Jones would be the guy that just meets with a player when they're a malcontent if you want to call them that and has an honest conversation with them and says, you know, here's what we're doing right now. Uh, If this doesn't work, we'll try and do something and work something out with you in the future. But Ricky Rubio, when he was traded, said that he was told he wasn't going to be traded from the Suns. And then he was. And I think that from that perspective, I think there are times where the extent to which the Suns are tight-lipped in their negotiations 
can also extend to the players because players are sometimes the people who leak. I think the the impression of Shams Sharania is that Shams gets a lot of his news from players directly, whereas Woj gets a lot of his news from general managers. And I think the Suns, in their uh, pursuit to be as tight-lipped as possible, maybe are not always fully honest with players because they don't want something to get out before it needs to get out. Uh, so I don't know. You know, I honestly don't know. I like to hope that he's the type of person that would have an honest and direct conversation with these guys. But I think there is some evidence that that's not the case in Ricky Rubio. Yeah, that's fair. That that Rubio report, by the way, um, only came out, I think, and that came out recently, didn't it? That came out this summer. No, I think it was right after the trade. Or was trade. it after? Was it right like, after the like trade? It was in training camp after I the only, trade. I only remember... After seeing it this year and i remember that it surprised me i i I didn't think there was a big news cycle that came of it at the time which was kind of interesting yeah it'll be interesting to see what they do with jay crowder i think there is a chance there is a chance by the next time you and i record which will be about a week from now outside of a patreon podcast that we're talking about a slightly different roster whether it be jay crowder or someone else you know there are other assets that they can move or maybe at the very least, a Cameron Johnson extension, which should come soon. Um, there's one, other, there's a few other things I want to talk about, but this one other thing I, I had in my notes that I wanted to talk to you about. It's just it's something small, but I think that I want to dovetail it into a conversation about something bigger. And this was the Suns recently added a front office member to their front office. His name is Ad Malhotra. He's from Baylor. And Malhotra was on a podcast, well, a radio show recently that was released as a podcast in Texas, where Baylor is. And they interviewed him, asked him questions about coming to the Phoenix Suns. And there's something that he said there that I thought was kind of interesting. He said that his role for the Suns will be focused on scouting. It sounds like his role is sort of this dual front office slash coaching and development role where he scouts but can also help coach some of the young guys that join the Suns. But in that interview, he mentioned that the Suns front office is now ready to, quote, expand and grow. And he mentioned that they were trying to be what is considered like a top-of-the-line front office in Phoenix. Um, This was an interview that went a little bit under the radar, I think. Shout out to the person that sent it to us. Uh, And I think it was interesting from a couple perspectives. One, we heard about the draft from the article written pre-draft by Kevin Arnovitz and how the Suns just don't really care, right? Maybe don't have a lot of scouts, don't have a lot of guys involved. Now, after that, we've heard about a couple hires for the Suns front office, including Malhotra, who now is specifically signed to focus on scouting college basketball in particular, something he mentioned. And I think it's interesting just from the perspective of the Suns Showing a willingness to grow after that, hopefully, maybe it just comes from a place of shame, you know, that they were embarrassed by that article and now they're expanding and growing beyond that. But it sounds like from his perspective and what he knew, and there's a lot of Baylor guys, by the way, I think eight different Baylor guys work for the Suns right now. And from that, that perspective, it sounds like he was under the impression that the Suns are trying to expand their front office. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, well, that might be, you know, keep in mind, he just got hired by the Suns and so now he's representing the organization in all of these public front-facing interviews, right? So I think sometimes that lends itself to maybe a more rosy interpretation of how things are going. Certainly when I heard this news, and I heard it from you uh, directly, so thank you for um, pointing my attention towards the interview because otherwise it would have totally fallen, slipped out of my yeah, radar as it was well. AM radio in Texas. Is where AM, yeah, from. I mean, AM radio yeah. in Texas. Like, where? how am I supposed to you know, <laughs> find that? Uh I think it's great news if the Suns are expanding their front office. I think it's great news if they're responding to the shame, even if it's in uh, a sort of kind of damage control way, right? Like if it's motivated by shame, so be it. It's still good news that they're um, finally putting some focus on the draft because as we talked about in the past, their past couple drafts have been, or their, their lack of activity has been absolutely embarrassing. That being said, if they expand their front office from six to nine people where mm-hmm. other NBA front office, and I'm just throwing numbers out there, right? I don't actually know. But if other NBA front offices have 30 scouts each, 
you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's, you're right. Uh, we've, we've also said in the past that, you know, scouting is such an imprecise science that continues to be in its infancy to where no one's figured it out. And you <laughs> can very clearly make a compelling case, as James Jones tried to do in the Arnovitz piece, that you don't need all of that manpower. You can go about it in your own kind of way and still feel confident in the choices you're making. The problem is, I think the Suns took it to an extreme uh, and they went completely to the other end of the spectrum where they basically just used it to cover up the fact that it was a cost-cutting measure, in my opinion. They yeah, simply no, did not no want... No G League team, at least, the very least, points to that. They know? simply did not want to pay for these resources. And, and, to and me, now they sm- do. <laughs> to me, it smelled like, at the time, James it's Jones right. being, being forced... To cover exactly for right. the cheapness of Robert Sarver. Thank this you. This could be an interest, and I know where you're going to go with this next, but to kind of get you there, this could be an interesting indication that maybe things there are moving in a positive direction. Of course, we don't know the status of the investigation still as of today, late August. But This is where I want to go with it. There you go. Because it's interesting, I think. you know, I'm not going to say that this is just an absolute sign of something, but I... We haven't talked much about the Robert Sarver investigation on this podcast. Part of the reason we haven't talked about it much, there's nothing to talk about. All we have gotten is a few updates from Adam Silver saying that it's close to an end. There was a moment in this whole Robert Sarver investigation saga where I thought we were close to him potentially being forced to sell just based on some things that have been said behind the scenes and the timing of when the initial findings were supposed to come out, which was about two months ago at this point. Now, I am sort of... I have a theory that we are seeing the front office for the Phoenix Suns working in a manner that points to them potentially working essentially without an owner being in charge, at least temporarily in the future. Now, what that could mean for Robert Sarver is maybe he's forced to sell. I'm starting to lean to maybe that's not going to happen. But maybe Robert Sarver is now forced to take a back seat to the Suns. And now maybe somebody like James Jones is in charge or somebody else, like some sort of figurehead is placed in charge and Robert Sarver is forced to take a step back from day-to-day operations. Maybe that's a s- suspension. Well, like maybe he's literally yeah. suspended from uh, being around <laughs> his team for a year or two, a season or two. And maybe that could be. You have something um, else to add there? Well, let's be very clear that, you know, at least in the way that things are supposed to work, in the ideal basketball organization, the owner is in charge of the financials and that's fine. Yeah. The owner should never have say in the day-to-day basketball operations of an organization and the extent to which, and this is much of the problem to begin with, I mean, this is not the problem as it relates to this specific investigation. That's about a very different type of scandal. But... The gripe that a lot of people have with Robert Sarver, of course, is that he has been a very unique owner among NBA owners in that he has carried a lot of influence over saying exactly what his GMs in the past can and can't do, what his presidents of basketball operations can and can't do when it comes to the actual basketball team. And so we can only hope, just from a basketball perspective, that James Jones has a certain level of autonomy at this point that maybe hasn't always been acknowledged in the past. A month ago, almost a month ago today, Morgan Cato was hired by the Phoenix Suns. Morgan Cato uh, became the first black woman to be an assistant general manager for an NBA team. Morgan Cato also previously worked for the NBA. When Morgan was asked about what it was like meeting Robert Sarver, do you know what she said, Sam? I I don't know. She she hasn't met him. She hasn't met him at all. And this is the assistant general manager for the Phoenix Suns, somebody who went through the entire interview process to work for the Phoenix Suns without even meeting the owner. It's just, That's and I think, and I think yeah. she deserves a role. I think it sounds like somebody who's probably going to be really good for the organization as a whole and somebody who clearly came recommended by the NBA, maybe more than recommended. I, I, I don't know. But, the idea that she would not meet Robert Sarver and that the Suns front office is doing things that sort of are maybe antithetical to what Robert Sarver believes as far as cost cutting could potentially point to an outcome of this investigation 
being some sort of version of the Suns working without Robert Sarver, short-term or long-term, uh, depending on what happens with it. The thing the, is, mm-hmm. it's one thing for the Suns organization to work outside of Robert Sarver, be that temporarily or permanently. It's another thing for the Suns to make decisions in terms of you know being as autonomous as to say we're going to expand because mm-hmm. the money has to come from somewhere. Well, maybe... It implies another owner is in charge temporarily. You know, there are other people. We've talked about we've talked John about John Najafi yeah. in the past, and that's exactly where I was going with this. It implies that there are other sympathetic parties within the Suns organization, minority owners perhaps, who look at things differently and are willing to pump a certain investment into the organization. And and you know, again, all of this is speculation on our part. Uh, this is maybe the most we've talked about this in weeks, as you pointed out, Mike, because we yeah. just have not had anything to go on. The last update was five weeks ago from Adam Silver, where he said the organization was in its final stages. It's close. That was yeah. five weeks ago. The investigation ago. is close, yeah. But and, and now, I, that, just, now that Kevin Durant has been laid to rest... <laughs> <laughs> I don't He's know still alive, for the record. <laughs> the, the, sorry, perhaps poorly phrased. Yeah. Now that... Now that the Kevin Durant trade rumors have been laid to rest, specifically the rumors to the Suns, we talked about contingency plans. Okay, there's still stuff going on with the basketball team, but kind of the overall greatest narrative, the the greatest potential source of turmoil for this team right now is this. This is is the next thing. This is the next pin to drop. And I think there's even some outside uh, pressure from uh, the likes of Al Sharpton to uh he's putting pressure on sponsors which is one of the best ways to get things done in the nba is to go after their money uh he's talking about paypal potentially cutting ties due to this investigation just not happening or or just what we know is enough in his mind and i think in some ways he's right uh this i think is probably something that the nba wants to get done before the season begins if there is a scenario where the Suns are going to operate essentially without Robert Sarver calling the shots, they probably would want some sort of, uh, I don't know, I guess I can use the phrase again, contingency plan, some sort of line, uh, a chain of command in place before they announce it. And it appears that if that were to happen, maybe it's close. Now, I want to preface all this by saying I don't know anything. I don't know anything other than just seeing everything that's happened and trying to put it all together in my mind to make some sort of sense of all of it. So for the record, if the, if this does happen, it wasn't because I knew anything. Clairvoyant Mike. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be, I, it could, but maybe not. You know, maybe nothing happens. Maybe it's just a slap on the wrist or maybe on the other end of that, maybe they have to force him to sell. Maybe there's a sale already in place or something. You know, we actually have no idea. But the way that things have operated, the way the Suns front office has operated with a form of autonomy that they never have operated with before is odd to me. And it stands out. Now, you can say maybe Robert Sarver is getting smarter, getting better. Look, I don't think there's a case to be made that he doesn't want to be involved with things. I think maybe you could say he's making better decisions lately. But I don't think that means he's not involved. (laughs) I think he absolutely is involved in things if he can be. And we'll see what ends up happening there. I got nothing else on that. You have anything else? No. Let's let's move on. Uh, can we just say Dario Sharitz has a man bun and he's playing pretty well for Eurobasket right now? <laughs> no transition there, right? What a transition! <laughs> what what a fucking transition that was. Um, this is like yeah, like <laughs> lowbrow and highbrow. I guess you can call us. I don't know. <laughs> he has a man bun now. Breaking and, uh, news: Dario yeah. Sharitz has a man bun. He does have a man bun. He looks um, skinny, I, and maybe he was playing power forward a lot. Which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting too, right? Yeah, I mean, it would be kind of interesting. I think he has the capacity. He's always had the capacity to play power forward, right? Him playing center uh, when he was most recently healthy with the Suns, that was like an exciting new development in the career of Dario Saric. Yeah. But there are certain lineups where it makes more sense for Dario to play power forward. And so, I, you know, I definitely think the hybrid thing can still work for him for the Suns next year. It doesn't surprise me if you're asking me at all, by the way. Uh, it doesn't surprise me that he's skinny coming off an ACL. Tear. Exactly. It's yeah. That he would have shed some weight. It's a really tough recovery process. Mm-hmm. And I guess what we just really have to see, you know, I've seen highlights, but I'm curious to see the actual matches in Eurobasket. It starts in one week. will be one week from now as Croatia's yeah. opening game against Greece. 
Uh, I just want to see kind of the speed at which Dario takes the game. And, you know, just because you lose weight doesn't necessarily mean your conditioning is in the right place. And, and that's the next step for me to see is, uh, it, is he really ready for yeah. the big stage at the NBA? Yeah, the shot looked good. I watched some highlights. The shot looked good. It's hard to watch these games, so sorry that we're not necessarily watching them live, but the shot looks good. He looks in shape. He looks skinny. He looks confident in his knees. I think that's something that takes some time. He had a lot of time off. I think when you have a severe knee injury, it takes some time to be confident in your legs again, and he looks like he's pretty close, and I think this Eurobasket tournament will probably help him. It's de- so It definitely is like, like a Dario Sharj who's like, I'm just throwing out a number here. I don't know if this is true, but let's say he's 15 pounds lighter than he was yeah. when he last played with the Suns in the finals. You know, like he already wasn't an above the rim off great offensive rebound right. threat at center, right? So it implies like he can play center, but he's probably just going to lean even more heavily into pick and pop. And how really much would it even affect his defense at center? I mean, How yes, there it, might be guys that try to push him around, but like, I don't think, I don't does think it, it really af- matter. You know, I don't think it affects his defense. I do think it affects the overall defensive scheme. If a significantly lighter Dario is pulling down five and a half rebounds per 36 and he's playing center, that could be an issue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a good point. like yeah. there are certain, there are certain areas we'll put where him next to issue. a post up power forward and then. Well, you know, there, if you put him next to if you put him next to Tory Craig or Ish Wayne, Greg Monroe, he's Ish Wayne Wright isn't necessarily yeah. such a great rebounder either. If you put him next to Tory Craig, maybe it's not so much of an issue. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, there's certain there's certain there's certain lineups. But basically, Dario's ability to actually we joke a lot about him unlocking everything in the Suns' offense this year. He <laughs> mm-hmm. needs to let it fly. I mean, joke. I well, I do believe it to an extent, <laughs> but he needs to let it fly. He needs yeah. to let it fly frequently. He has to dribble some too, and he has to pass. And he needs to dribble and pass. He just needs to take these things that were supposed to be his best assets coming into the NBA, where we've seen him succeed before, and kind of push them to their limits. Because at this point in his career, I think we understand the athletic limitations of who Dario Sharch is as a player. It doesn't mean that he can't contribute. He can still be a very positive contributor. But yeah. yeah, he just he he just needs to shoot and pass the fuck out of the basketball, and yeah. hopefully he's capable of doing that. Yeah, it's just like adding LeBron to your team, basically. Uh, I know we joked about it to start, but the Suns are adding back throwback purple jerseys, and they look fantastic. They introduced them in a video on their social networks with DeAndre Ayton in like some sort of 90s style uh, video, and they look great, and he looks great in them, and DeAndre Ayton is like genuinely funny and stuff like that, and I'm actually thinking when I watch that, how come he's not in more stuff like being marketed because he's funny and he like knows how to be kind of goofy. Uh, but what did you, what did you think of the jerseys? Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I definitely want to get one. Uh, it seems like it's going to be kind of hard to get one. <laughs> so <we'll, laughs> yeah, the Suns announced the whole jersey and then we'll said see. they're not for sale. Uh, yeah, yeah. Supposedly, thanks to Espo, we did hear that uh, they should be available around training camp. So we'll see if they end up being mm-hmm. available. But for those who haven't followed it, no Valley jerseys this year, which does kind of suck. Yeah. I think these purple jerseys sort of make up for the loss of they're those trying Valley jerseys. To, they're trying to replace the Valley jerseys. But in a way, look, I'm not going to lie. That kind of sucks for me personally because I actually never got a Valley jersey. It's impossible. Um, yeah. They were impossible to get online. You even and, flew all the way to Phoenix and they weren't here. <laughs> exactly. They were impossible to get online. So I went to Phoenix one time last year. We saw a few games together. And I tried to go to the team shop a couple different times. They were out of Valley jerseys, so I was not able to procure one. Uh, but for the people who already have one, I do think it makes it more special that you're not like wearing them out and that they kind of reflect a certain era of Suns basketball that hopefully people have fond memories of mostly. If, I we, talk, if we talk about the last two years, yeah, right? So, I will. You know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Hopefully we have just as many fond memories f- when we look back on the era of the rebirth of the purple 90s jerseys yeah. and not that this was the era where the suns collapsed entirely <laughs> and uh and yeah <laughs> we'll they're see. returning the normal white home jerseys they're bringing back the purple jerseys replacing the valley jerseys as as is essentially a black jersey with a orange gradient phx on the front for those who missed it and then they have a special i think city edition turquoise jersey which is just a completely different 
color scheme that they're bringing back next year. So the the jerseys will still be interesting, but the the Valley jersey is going to be something that feels a little bit missing in that purple jersey, which I looks amazing. Wait. We'll make I up for it. I can't wait until bit. we're old enough to get like 2000s nostalgia like mm, the ugly me, ones. Bring bring me back. <laughs> bring me the gray sleeve jerseys. <laughs> bring me the no not those the gray sleeve jerseys 2010s. <laughs> that was the worst jersey they've ever put out. Who who was it that mo- was it who was it that modeled the jerseys but never played a game for the Suns? Karan Butler. Karan he was in Butler. The orange one. He, the, you're thinking of the all orange jerseys with the sleeves. Those were bad too. Ooh, those but bad, I'm just yeah. I'm even the thinking Eric about the Eric Bledsoe era. I'm thinking about 7 seconds or less era. The yeah, like those orange, pretty, those are pretty ugly too. I mean, the, in my opinion, the orange and gray jerseys or the purple and gray jerseys were pretty ugly. But I wouldn't mind if they brought them back at some point. Oh yeah, I mean the nostalgia will will definitely work on us. Like once we see Devin Booker put it on, we'll be like, nice. You <laughs> like we're definitely gonna enjoy that. Uh, but gray is not a Suns color. I don't support that. Uh, but yes, that's all we got. You got anything else? I think that's that's all for this week. We'll be back with. Uh, patreon episode tomorrow yes i think so where um yeah we'll talk about some stuff we have to think about about some stuff (laughs) yes and then back next week maybe talking about some moves if the suns make some moves we appreciate you guys if you want to join the patreon patreon.com slash the timeline Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast.